Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. I'm your host today, Valentino Stoll, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Greg Molnar. Greg, you want to introduce yourself and tell everybody why you're infamous? Hi, Valentino. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Greg, and uh, I've been here before. <laughs> I'm a Ruby on Rails engineer and a penetration tester. At the same time, I try to split my time between the two. I, I'm really interested in security. I got interested in security a few years back, but I can't just give up coding because I also love to write code. So I try to split the time and enjoy both. Awesome. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, you know, I think the last time we had you on, uh, I, f- I forget the security topic. <laughs> it was also security. That's right. <laughs> Uh, which, you know, go back and watch that episode. Uh, you know, I've already forgotten <laughs> a lot of the content, <laughs> but I will definitely uh, have to revisit myself. Um, and, you know, I'd, we had you on to talk about penetration testing today, which is, uh, to me, a more, you know, I- I'm more familiar with that. <laughs> uh, and for those that don't know, uh, do you want to just give a breakdown to the audience? What is penetration testing? And how is it useful uh, for securing applications? Sure. Uh, penetration testing is when a company hires someone to try to find uh, vulnerabilities in their application and penetrate into their system. And uh, it's a really good way to uncover unknown security issues in your app before someone else, someone malicious finds those issues. And uh, there are basically three big categories of penetration tests. There is a white box, gray box, and black box one. The black box one is when the consultant doesn't know anything about the application. They just get a host. It is this host, find everything out about it, try to hack it, which is very close to what would happen in a real world scenario. But I think that's not really the best option for any company because it's very time consuming, which means it's way more expensive. Then there's the gray box one, when the company gives a lot of information to the consultant. He can ask any questions about the architecture, technologies used, certain hotspots of the application, which might be prone to having vulnerabilities, but not getting access to the source code. And then there is the white box one, then you get everything what you get in the gray box and you also get access to the source code. And uh, I think that sums it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm familiar more of, uh, with penetration testing just with without now, you know, where the, the company or software, uh, you know, providers don't have information <laughs> that you're testing them. And I know that this is now no longer the case uh, for a large majority of security people. And probably for a good reason. Um, <laughs> but that's still a thing, but it's called it bug bounties now. Yeah, it's called uh, okay. bug bounties. And there are platforms where you can, as a company, you can sign up and uh, you can tell what's in scope, what uh, host you want someone to test, and then you can report the vulnerabilities to you privately. Then you can resolve them and Usually they pay you. Sometimes they don't pay anything, <laughs> but usually they pay you, and then everybody wins. So, but that that's uh, called a bug bounty, not a penetration testing. 
I'm, I'm curious, like, what, how, where do you even start penetration testing? Because uh, uh, there are so many layers to this. Um, and I, I'm always interested, like, there are so many tools. We're, we'll cover all of these topics. But, uh, you know, what's your first, uh, what's the first thing you do when you're, like, sign on with, you know, a task or a company to start penetration testing? I mean, do you have to start breaking down specifics? Uh, of what you're going to start to do, or do you just start gathering information? Well, usually every penetration test starts with a, a so-called scoping process, where you talk to the customer and you ask a bunch of questions from them. Like, what is the, what is the application doing? Which are the hotspots which I should test? And what is your biggest risk, in your opinion? And then, then you end up with a, an estimate of how long the test will take. And then you start the actual test. There are also like things, are you going to have a separate instance of the application which you can do your tests again? Or is it the production one? That's very not recommended because then you need to be extra careful to not accidentally delete or access someone's information. And once all of these things are hashed out, then you get access to the target. And then I have like a, ver a, a playbook kind of thing, which I'm going through. First thing first is usually the public pages, then the authentication, and then the authorization. Can I access things which I shouldn't with certain user levels? And then it, then from then on, it, it depends on the application. But it's just going through, an ev through every functionality and try the usual suspects to find vulnerabilities. Yeah, I always wonder, uh, you know, there's so much automation these days and the tools are so kind of robust now. Um, I always wonder, you know, how much of it is just, you know, how good is your toolkit? <laughs> uh, I I never actually really use tools. I mean, I use tools, but not like, so there are two, two categories of tools. One, which is it helps you to do certain things. And then there is this things called like auto-pawn, which is you execute the tool and it tries to find vulnerabilities. And I never really use those kind of tools. They give you back a lot of false positives. Usually they are very noisy. So it's, for me, it's more of a waste of time to use those. Sometimes they, they can be helpful, but I have my own methodology and I use tools. Like I use a, a proxy in between the application and myself where I can manipulate all of the request data. So for instance, if I try to brute force something, I'm not making myself a hundred requests to verify that they have some sort of a brute force protection. I have this tool for it, which I just configure to send a hundred pay various payloads to this endpoint. Or if I'm looking for a secret injection, I'm not going to manually send all of my usual payloads, I have a list. And then if I find a suspect of a, a field, which I think this is this might be vulnerable to secret injection, I just run through all my 150 payloads and see if anything comes back with an error. And then uh, based on that error, I can take the next step and figure it out if it's just an error or if it's a vulnerability. But there are plenty of tools which you can use and just to run against an application, but they are super noisy. They can't really work after authentication. 
you can still configure them to login, but finding issues where you have, let's say in your application, you have three different user levels. And obviously you want to make sure that no privilege escalation is possible. So they can't access each other's account levels information. Like you have an admin user who can do certain things, but it's the same login, like the same user model with a uh, different uh, uh, account level. And then you don't want a regular user to have admin privileges. With these tools, it's really difficult to test that. Because you can you can't just do the same, you can't just pass the same login credentials and go through all functionalities. It might give you false positives. I see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and it sounds like your methodology is just using what you know, what your experience has been. Uh, you know, finding the, like you said, the most likely sources <laughs> uh, to then pick apart. Uh, so I'm curious what uh, what specific tools you're using. Um, you know, like, do you, as an example for your SQL injection, like, uh, are there specific, like, programs that you're running to, to make these requests? Or do you have your own, like, custom tools built? Um, you know, where, where do you start to, what do you grab first when you're uh, focusing on, you know, various specific tasks? My main tool is called Burp, Burp Proxy, which is an interception proxy. It is basically you, you can open a browser inside of Burp now. They are, it's like a really advanced tool now. It's super easy to use. And every request from that browser goes to a proxy and you can hold the request and modify, or you can just replay any request with modifications to the data. So. For instance, if you're looking for a SQL injection and you know that uh, if, let's say, you are testing that the password field at, at the login is not uh, vulnerable to SQL injection, you just make a regular login request and you send that to the, tool, uh, to the tool called Repeater. And then you can configure it to send the request with a list of payloads filled into the password field. And I have my own list of these various payloads and then I send those. And then if there is an error, then at the end you get all the responses. And if it's an error, then you can look into it. What's that, what was the error about? Is it just a regular error because of some, maybe the payload was too big or too, too, too short because the password requirements are longer? or if it's an actual vulnerability because you were able to execute malicious SQL. Yeah, the Burp Suite is great. I've, I've definitely used it to uh, diagnose some network, you know, specific errors uh, or issues. Um, it's pretty incredible. I, I've only scratched the surface, I feel like. Uh, definitely. I don't use 100% of its features. So <laughs> it's a very, <laughs> very powerful tool. You mentioned your, you know, how uh, how a lot of these automated tools kind of Give so many false positives, it's almost not worth it. Like, are are there any cases where you know you would reach for this tool? Uh, maybe you have like a task to just poke around and find any open things. Like, are there any? Is there any value out of uh, using them, or should people just kind of stand clear of them? Ah, that's a good question. 
I think if you are learning, then maybe it's a good to help you to find spots where where you should focus on. But I don't know. I was not, the way when I learned penetration testing, the course I took, they discouraged every tooling because they they say that you should learn the actual underlying things of the uh, to find vulnerabilities. You shouldn't just use a tool. And then that will give you results because then you, you lack the basic knowledge. And probably because I went through this whole course and they didn't encourage using those tools. That's why I'm not using them. I just got used to using low level things. I still try to improve my process to automate what I can. Automating everything is just impossible. And the other thing is there are, there is like a thing called Nikto, which is a web, uh, security scanning tool. But the problem is if I run Nikto, it doesn't know what kind of an, a technology that application uses. Is it a Rails app? Is it a PHP app? Is it a Laravel app? Or is it a Node.js app? Because all of these technologies, every framework has their own caveats, which I always research if I don't know that framework well enough. Then I research what are these framework specific things which I should look into. Like in Rails, it has a few APIs, a few methods which people don't, it's not obvious to everybody that they can lead to security issues. The most famous one is the link to helper. Not everybody knows that the second parameter can be a JavaScript payload. So you shouldn't trust any user supply data and just passing it to the second parameter of link to. Yeah, that's a great example. Uh, yeah, there are a lot. <laughs> A lot of examples like that, I feel like, uh, that if you're just, even if you're, you know, you've been in Rails for a few, few years, you can just, you know, completely, uh, ignore by accident, you know, (laughs) and, uh, next thing you know, oops. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious. So we could dive into that, uh, next, because I did have, like, I was, I was curious, you know, you do penetration testing a lot and, you know, how does Rails hold up? Like, do you, do you focus specifically on Rails or do you, are there other frameworks that you also uh, like to focus on uh, that you're familiar with? And like, how does it hold up? I don't focus only on Rails, but that's where I have the most experience because I know the framework well. I write code in Rails as well. So that's where I have the most experience. Uh, but I also do other things like PHP, .NET, not, I don't care about the technology. So if someone contacts me and we can get to a, an agreement, then I, I usually do the penetration test regardless of the technology. If I don't know that particular framework well enough, if I don't have experience with it, I always do my research to find these framework-specific things to, to verify. And the Rails, Rails holds up pretty well, mostly because there are a lot of good defaults, but I think that's also a bit counterproductive because we have multiple categories of uh, vulnerabilities. Like the regular ones is SQL injection, XSS, CSRF, and whatnot. Many of these are the defaults in Rails are protecting you. But there are also the logical issues. And I think because people are, Rails devs are used to being safe and they are got used to not even think about security because the framework does it for me. 
then they don't pay much attention and they introduce more logical bugs due to these log logical security issues due to this. That's also under yeah. which automated tools rarely find when it's a logic bug because they can't understand logic as a human can. Yeah, I mean, I would assume that the logical, you know, security bugs are probably more most common in any application. Um, but yeah, I can see it being more so in Rails, where it is sort of like a business-driven tool, um, where you're just, you know, you use whatever the defaults are to get whatever you need out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm so, so I'm I want to circle back to uh, the tooling again. Uh, we were talking before the show, you know, do you use any like Ruby tools uh, to do these penetration tests or are, are there, you know, what language do you reach for, you know, when you're trying to poke around the system or do, or do you lean more heavily on you know, per proxy and, and using all, you know, more bare bones kind of approaches? Sometimes I speak things and then I my obvious choice is Ruby. And there are, I, I know a lot of security professionals are using Ruby as their uh, scripting language, their go-to scripting language. It's very easy to do the things which you need to do for a security check. And uh, there are other tools like Metasploit is written in Ruby, which I don't think that many people know. There's also another tool called uh, Beef, which is the browser exploitation framework which is also written in Ruby. I rarely use that because that's more, it's very useful if you want your, if you find an XSS and you want to actually exploit it. It can like, you can create your payload, embed that onto the site. And when someone opens the page with the XSS payload, then you get access to their browser and you can run checks on their uh, browser. Is there any known vulnerabilities in the browser? Exploit that. Or if there is not, you can steal a session cookie super easily. It's like a click of a button. Or you can pop up a, a Google login page and try to fish them into enter their Google credentials. And there are a lot of things which are built into Beef. That's a, a very powerful tool. If you want to take the next step of a vulnerability exploitation and just prove to your client that this can be actually a pretty serious issue, not just a an alert pop up on someone's screen. And uh, yeah, though I, I my main tool is Burp and some occasional Ruby scripts to do things, but Burp is the go-to for me. Yeah, I'm curious. Is there any like limitations that you've hit using Ruby, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to go to something even lower level? But it, if I'm not testing a Ruby, a Ruby application, a Rails app, let's say when it, I was testing a PHP app and I found uh, like file upload vulnerabilities, then I have to create my web shell in PHP. I can't really run Ruby on those servers. But other than that, whenever I need a bit of automation, Ruby is usually can handle that. But sometimes you need to be <clears throat> language specific with the tools you need to write. Like if you need to write a little payload which is which can be executed on that specific target and if they don't support ruby then you need to choose another language i guess just use whatever you used to 
uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm curious, like, at, at what point in the process do things like start, start changing how you're working on them, right? Like there's the initial kind of, you know, upfront investigation, and then you found some, you know, you finally find something that you're, uh, you know, it seems promising, something's not quite working as it should be. Uh, and you start to target that, uh, you know, with penetration testing, is there like a uh, known wrap up or is it always end with kind of like uh, open questions? Because <laughs> I'm always curious, like, how does the workload work, right? Like, do you just end with like, okay, I found these potential exploits or there are these exploits and do you also provide like feedback for how it should be like addressed? I'm curious how that process works. But the way I do it is probably different for everybody, but the way I do it, I'm always thinking from the other side of the coin as well. So I want my client to get the most out of their buck. And what I do is I have my kind of playbook. I go through all the things which I know I have to check. If I find a vulnerability that goes into my notes and then I put it into a report at the end. If I find something which looks promising, but I can't easily find a way around. Let's say I find an XSS, which I can't really exploit, but it it looks like there is an XSS, but it might be not possible to exploit it. Then I just leave it. And then I go through everything I want to check. And then if I still have time at the end, I get back to it. Or I tell the client, look, I've wrapped up the project because I quoted four days or five days. I found things here. If you want, I can spend an extra day and try to get to the bottom of it, or we can just leave it like that. It's in the report that it's a potential issue, but I couldn't verify. And then I usually, if I have time at the end, I get back to it and and try to to figure out a way to exploit those sort of things. And the end result of every penetration test is a report. So you get a report with listed vulnerabilities, the severity of them. And if I can recommend a fix, then a recommended fix. Sometimes I can't recommend a proper fix because I don't know the language and the framework well enough, or I just don't know how your business logic enough to recommend a change to handle things. In a more secure way, I can just give a general advice. This is what you need to make sure doesn't happen. Yeah, I've definitely read through quite a few penetration uh, test reports, and they're very useful. Uh, and it it makes me wonder, uh, you know, do you do work like to integrate penetration testing or or just security analysis as part of like a developer workflow? Have you ever like joined to a team to help them kind of think about things more as they're developing, or is that is it not worth it to a company? Do they think more, oh, we'll, we'll hire somebody to find all the security stuff? I think that would really work for any company, but I never did such a thing. I always give my, if it's a Rails app, I always give them a list of recommendations, like run Breakman on your CI and read this documentation, the security guy, make all of your developers read it. And I think if you are, if you want to be PCI compliant, you should send your developers to a security training every year. 
but usually companies don't do that. They just have their internal training, which is usually worthless, <laughs> to be honest. <clears throat> but the other recommendation, which I always tell to every company, have one person on your team who is interested in security. Let that person learn about security. Let them be the security guy of the team. And if you have any doubts about something, a feature or whatever, that guy is your go-to person. I definitely agree with that mentality. Um, you know, I've joined many companies where, you know, there was somebody that was just interested in it. <laughs> and so you do learn a lot, you know, if you, if you aren't familiar with it, which I wasn't at the time. It was like semi-familiar, you know. <laughs> But you do, you like learn where to read about certain things and where things are published, right? Because uh, there are, there are like plenty of organizations that publish, you know, breaches or, or security, new security related incidents, right? Uh, with common tooling. And so there are just like things that you get used to uh, the more you work with it. Uh, and I'm really surprised how like, <laughs> uh, how not built up a lot of the processes are for you know, onboarding people to security, um, which is kind of surprising. Uh, they kind of just expect, oh, you should know it and do it. Um, and yeah, I 100% agree. Like training is definitely important. <laughs> Keep people up to speed uh, and thinking about it. Um, yeah, but companies focus more on clean code, maintainable code than secure code, to be honest. I'm curious what your thoughts are on like, uh, you know, there are plenty of Rails people out there, plenty of Ruby developers out there, you know, how, how can we stay up to date and like, uh, keep on top of maybe not doing penetration testing specifically, but being aware of these concerns as we're developing. Cause I feel like that's an ongoing concern is how do you like start thinking about this stuff or continuing to think about them as you're developing? What are some good, like best practices for that? Uh, that's a good question. You should build into, it, it's kind of a mindset thing that you should have, or maybe you can actually do like a checkbox on every pull request that I check this for every, every security consent. Then you can build automated tooling like Breakman into your CI flow. And if that highlights something, then someone needs to verify that that's an actual issue. And to learn about it, there is the company who's building Burp. It's called Portsvigar. And they have a thing called the Burp University, which is a, a web-based, all of the web-related vulnerabilities that are really good documentation and write-ups and tutorials to go through them. So that's definitely a good learning resource. And uh, other than that, what I also like to do is we have a few good open source Rails projects like rubygems.org, GitLab, and sometimes they have uh, security releases. And it's always interesting to check what, what happened, what kind of bad assumptions those guys made to introduce the vulnerabilities and just learn from it. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, it's, it's always interesting to read those uh, CVs that come out from Ruby, Ruby Lang and just you know, read through. I mean, there's pretty wild some of them. Uh, what people are able to do, right, to to exploit the system or or the language even. Um, and it is really interesting reading the kind of how how they untangle everything uh, and 
fix it ultimately. Um, so that's pretty cool. I didn't know, uh, that Burp offered or the Portswigger offered the academy or whatever they call it. Uh, that's pretty cool. I'll be checking that out for sure. Um, yeah, and it's also, it's completely free. So it's a, a very good resource to be honest. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so I'm curious if you've gotten into, uh, kind of the discoverability of, uh, you know, common penetration testing, uh, as far as like, uh, you know, reading through code source, like, do, do you use any tools like that? Like, let's say you get a, a white box, uh, customer, like, do you use any static code analysis, analysis to like read through a lot of the code to look for common patterns or, uh, you know, what what do you do for things like that? Yeah, I do. I I used Breakman in the past, but Breakman being acquired and they changed their license, you can't use it for any paid engagement. But I created my own tool. It's actually it's open source. It's called Spectre, which is it's basically the same thing as uh, Breakman. It's a static code analyzer. It it's not going to find every vulnerabilities. It's going to find some false positives. The good thing about it, it gives you ideas of patterns in that code base. And then you can search for those and, and check them. But that, that's the only tool I, I run on the code base and then it's just a manual check. But even if it's a white box test, what I do is I just check some obvious suspects in the code base, but then I do a regular penetration test. Like if it w- wouldn't even be a rail set. I'm just going through on each pages. I do the same requests what I would do if I wouldn't have access to the code base. The better thing in that scenario is if I find something which is a suspect, I can just easily go to the source and just maybe even make some modifications to the source code to debug that issue and see if I if it's an actual vulnerability, if I can exploit it. Or if I just read the code then sometimes it answers all the questions and tells me, no, you can't do, you can't really get this through here, or it becomes obvious that I can do what I, I was intending to do. I just need to do a slight change to my payload or whatever. I, I would love if, you know, more and more like static analysis tools came out. Uh, and it's, I know it's hard with Ruby, it not being typed and everything, uh, makes it a little more difficult, but. Uh, it's just there. We've definitely caught at, at Doximity a ton of stuff using Breakman and, and a few other tools. Uh, just doing static code analysis and being like, "Hey, in the PR, you know, you can't do this. Here's a link why." And yeah. it is just like it's it saves you, you know, especially with like a link to, you know, you, even if you just had an automated message and a you know review that's like, you know, the, is this user supplied right? Like, uh. You know, little checks like that are just like so nice, uh, yep. and helps, they can really save you, you know. Um, so I'm curious, like, are there open source or like, uh, resources you use to have like these checklists? I know you probably at this point already have like your own checklists that you run through, uh, for doing your testing, but, uh, are there any resources out there people can look through to kind of see, oh, like, here are here's an example checklist of, of things to check while running through. Uh, I have my own, 
but that is, uh, I think it's from Andy Kane, you know, the guy who has a bunch of really cool gems. I think he has a, like a kind of guide in a GitHub repo, like things to check for secure Rails development. But I, I will Google it and we can put it into the show notes. That's probably a good one. But uh, other than that, I can't, I don't really call any. As for static code analyzer, there is also another one. I don't remember the name. It came out recently. And that one focuses more on the JavaScript side of the Rails app as well. To be honest, I haven't used it. You know, I just tried it when it came out. I haven't used it since. But that might be also a useful tool to even to run it on, on your CI. It might overlap with Breakman, but you know, the more the merrier if maybe it finds things which Breakman wouldn't. I we can also put that into the show notes. I I need to Google the name. It was oh, I, I can't remember. Can't remember what it was, but we can put it into the show notes. Cool, yeah. I'd be interested to check that out myself. Um so we've talked a lot about the tooling and, uh, you know, maybe some of the procedures for, for walking through a lot of this. I'm curious, like, uh, you know, what are, what are some pretty wild, you know, things that you found where, uh, maybe it seemed obvious to you where it was just like completely oblivious to the, you know, the people that had made the software. I can't bring up any specific examples, <laughs> but the the thing with these vulnerabilities, once you find them, they all look obvious. And before it's, so it's a bit hard to, to say that, oh, this thing was obvious because of course, once you test it and find it, it becomes obvious to you as well. But it's usually these issues are, I, I think the bigger problem is not that they are obvious, but it's when people just make a really small bad assumption and they introduce a big security hole. And it's just super easy to do that. Like also it's just missing things. For instance, with uh, I can bring up an example without giving out any names. There was a project where they overrode the they used Hummel and they overrode some Hummel methods to render some specific things. I it was years ago, so I don't remember these details, but they overrode the Hummer rendering to do some specific things which they needed in the application. And they didn't realize by the, the, the way they overrode it, they totally disabled the HTML sanitization thing. So anything you put into the application, which they, which they rendered was a potential excesses. Because by default, Hummel also like ERB escapes everything by default and you need to mark everything safe if you want to. But because they overrode the rendering that they disabled this default function. And it was actually when I saw it, I was like, I can't believe this because <laughs> this cannot be the default in Hummel. So I looked through everything and I went through the Hummel source code and I was like, it's not the default. So I, I didn't understand how it's happening. And then I, I told them that I found this thing, but I don't really understand why it is full of excesses. <laughs> and then, of, of course, they immediately knew, oh, yeah, we override this thing and it's caused by that problem. You know, it's funny uh, uh, that you bring up a, a custom Hamel renderer. I feel like uh, 
I've seen people even just like, uh, you know, create a, a fork of the render engine as to make a tiny tweak where it is even safely sanitizing, but then there's, you know, something upstream that changes that they fix. Uh, and then you've lost that, right? Uh, so many instances like that I've seen, um, where you've like adopted and tweaked something that, you know, is in the core of the framework or language that you're using. And then, you know, oh, something happened, you know, there's a, you know, security fix and, you know, you can't merge it in because <laughs> you've made all these modifications. Uh, so don't do that. <laughs> Yeah. But um another yeah, interesting that's... one which I it was fixed in Rails seven, I think. But in Rails six, if you sent a a, a non existing request with a non existing HTTP method in the request, then that resulted in an error page. And that error page was displayed for uh, some reason even when the verbose error pages were disabled, and the the verbose error pages include your uh, secret key base, which is like the key to the kingdom. And uh, I also found that one on an application once. That was an interesting one. Bummer. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, I feel like the end result of a uh, penetration, you know, test is always, you know, bummer. <laughs> We've, you know, we've made a mistake, you know, uh, and it's never, I feel like it's a bittersweet ending, you know? (laughs) All right, we fixed it and it's, you know, we'll work toward getting it resolved. But like, how long has this been there? You know, is there even a way to know (laughs) how how long that something's been, uh, you know, tampered with? You know, I know you can find out maybe how long that it's been exploitable, but... Yeah, you, know. you have to check your logs. In in <laughs> scenarios like this, it's just check your logs as far back as you can to see if anyone tried this. Rotate your secret keybase immediately. Yeah. And yeah. then if you are like PCI compliant, then you need to check for sure that nobody if any any findings from the penetration test report needs to be verified that nobody exploited those before. Because if anyone did, then you need to disclose that to your customers. Yeah, I mean, and that is a painstaking process, <laughs> sifting through logs yes. um, and trying to tie all the pieces together. Uh, yeah, that's not not really easy. There are companies actually speci- uh, working specifically on those investigations. Like you give access to your infrastructure to them, and they dig out everything they can to check that nobody accessed anything. So. So as a company that wants to like, you know, hire somebody like you to do penetration testing, is there a suggested like route that you would suggest? Like, is white box better than gray box, better than black box? Like, are there specific scenarios where one is more advantageous than the other? I think white box is the best for everybody because it that's the lowest cost price. You spend the less time if you do a white box test because you can verify things more easily so you save time. But sometimes they don't want you to have access to the code base because of various reasons. Even if you sign an NDA, they don't want to give out the code base. Then 
a gray box is the way to go. Black box, I don't recommend it to anyone. It's just a waste of money because you just, you can just, you could just share information. It doesn't cost anything and you are just losing money, throwing money out <laughs> the window. Yeah, when you said black box, I immediately thought bug bounty. And then why would you not do bug bounty? Yeah, exactly. Then you can just do bug bounty and only pay if someone finds something. But there are bigger so, companies who are doing this. Actually, they have a bug bounty program, but they also do the yearly penetration test with a consultancy. So uh, for you, are bug bounties worth it? Not really, to be honest. I know some people they are making like half a million dollar a year or even a million. It's insane. But the way I do bug bounties is if I find something on a website by accident, which I use, I go and check if they have a bounty program and then report the issue. And then I, I, I got some money like in like this way. I found a, an issue, for instance, it was a few months ago, I found an issue in something which I use. I reported it because it's like, I can't believe they do this. And then it turned out like what happens usually, they did a change and they didn't realize that change has a side effect and it disabled something and it led to a, it wasn't a serious vulnerability, a serious vulnerability, but it was still a security issue. And then they, they gave me a bounty for that. But to spend like time, I, the problem is, Sometimes if you do bug bounties, you might spend a week without finding anything. And then you maybe find something and you report it and someone found it two days before. And then you are not getting paid. That guy is getting paid. And they even, some people say that some of the companies just sometimes claim that it's a duplicate or they already knew about the issue and they just don't want to pay bounty. I don't know how, how much truth to that is there, but I don't know. So I think it doesn't, for me, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, the guys who are making a lot of money, what they do actually is they focus on one specific security issue. They get really good at it. Like let's say server side request forgery. And they find something which is a very new and novel. And then they go to a bug bounty platform. They go through all of the programs. They try that single thing. And like 50% of the targets, they find that thing to be working. They report it. And then they get a lot of small payouts from everywhere, which adds up to a lot of money. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, that would be my approach <laughs> is finding one exploit and then trying it on, you know, any that are in the, the, the programs, right? Um, it, it seems like that would make the most sense. Uh, and really, it would help to specialize people, right? Uh, if you're trying to do a bunch of security, like trying to get it all, <laughs> it's probably very difficult, right? I imagine even for you, you know, if you wanted to do something more granular, uh, I don't know what is in your wheelhouse or not. Uh, but I always think, you know, encryption, you know, busting and things like that are probably pretty difficult and niche, right? Uh, and so, you know, I feel like having more niche security people is a good thing. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you are spot on. Encryption is not my strongest <laughs> point for sure. I can find logic issues with encryption, but I, if you want me to to check your cryptographic algorithm is 
sorry that I'm not your guy. <laughs> I that was just a guess. I mean, because I I know I do know it's difficult. <laughs> uh, difficult That's to get the into. That's the most difficult part, I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, my eyes just glaze over anytime <laughs> I think about a new encryption algorithm, and I'm just like, all right, somebody's going to say this is a better one, and I'm going to use it, you know, <laughs> and hope that that is true, you know. <laughs> yeah. But. So I wonder how much of that uh, is that you find true, uh, even in frameworks like Rails, right, where it has safe by defaults kind of mentality. Um, you know, how much how much of that is, uh, you know, continues to be true as you continue to use the framework? Uh, with Rails, it's actually just getting better and better as time passes by. Everything is just being improved security-wise, slowly but surely. Things are getting improved, and I think today still Rails is one of your best shot if you just want to get a basic level of security in the framework. That's your best shot, probably. Yeah, it makes me wonder. Uh, you know, I would love a you know a Rails game where I have to you know pen test an example application and find, you know, vulnerabilities that have been explicitly set. Uh, I feel like that would be a lot of fun, <laughs> fun way to learn. Um, I have good news <laughs> for you. That is such a yeah, you're kidding. It's called, it's called Rails Go. Rails Go. It's Rails app. Yeah, it's, a, it's an intentionally vulnerable Rails application. And they even oh, have, I, nev I never went through it, but I just, once I checked it out and they even have, I think these like scenarios. So you can go through a certain scenario. Oh, it's, it's not like that. Oh, it's from OWASP. Yeah, it's from OWASP. Nice. It's not like that. Here is this application and find vulnerabilities, but you can, I think you can, you can select what you want to check, like XSS, and then it teaches you about XSS. As far as I recall, I, I, I just had a quick glance a few years ago. Oh, that is really cool. Yeah, I'm going to play with this. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one to play. And also the Burke University, they also have, they have the, the, the learning material and they also have a lab, which is like, let's say uh, they teach you about SQL injection. And then do you want to actually try to use what you learn? It is our lab click on this link and then it's an application where you need to find a SQL injection and you need to exploit the SQL injection and then you can test your knowledge. Oh, that's really cool. And that's also totally free. Yeah, those guys are awesome. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we, I feel like we've gotten through a lot here, Greg. <laughs> uh, is, is there any other topics you wanted to cover uh, before we wrap things up? Uh, nothing really. I think, yeah, we covered pretty much everything. It's, oh, there is also one more thing, which is, it's a bit about, it's a bit talking against myself. It's, so if you are a company and you are doing the uh, penetration test every year, and I always recommend to everybody, which is, as I said, a bit of speaking against myself, you hire me this year, don't hire me next year. Hire someone else and just rotate. Find two or three people who you can work with or companies who you can work with and rotate them because when I do a test, I do my best to find every vulnerabilities. 
but I can, I'm a human, I can miss things. Maybe someone does the same test, does a test two weeks later, and he finds something which I missed, but he might not find things I found. So it's always better to mix people because everybody has a different approach, different eyes. So it's good to mix people up and, uh, and that will probably lead to a better security posture for your application at the end. Yeah, I, I I liken it to uh, you know music producing, right? Like you get the same producer, uh, no matter how many different singers you get, it's all going to sound the same. <laughs> exactly, exactly. With security, it's not exactly like that, but different people have different perspectives, and they can find different issues. So, but yeah, I mean, hiring hiring, hiring Greg like, every year still better than not hiring Greg every year. <laughs> yeah, doing a penetration test with the same company every year is better than not having a penetration <laughs> test for sure. But I, rotating companies are even better, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great, great idea. Um, well, cool. Uh, if uh, there's nothing else you want to cover today, it was great having you on, Greg. Thanks as always. Uh, you know, I. I love talking about security and uh, you, you always give some great recommendations here. Uh, and it's always good to, you know, spend some time on security. If you're, if you're in any software position, it's always good even just to play with a tool or two and learn something new because it's very easy to overlook, you know, these tools and, and these exploitations really, um, you know, they, they layer, they're there. <laughs> they're always there and they'll get fixed over time, but, you know, you just have to be on your guard, you know? Yes. And the other thing which may be worth noting is uh, cyber criminals these days are like professional criminals. They are in it for the money. Your system might be exploited without your, even your knowledge. And they are just trying to get information out from the system without raising any alarms and making money from it. For instance, I'm getting for somewhere I paid with my card and I put down my phone number and they get my four, last four digits of my cards. And since then, I don't know which, which website it was, but I'm getting phishing uh, uh, texts from my, they are trying to fish uh, in behalf of my bank and just make me call a number which doesn't belong to my bank. And probably they want to get some information out of me. I'm getting a test like your payment couldn't go through. Call us, please. And that company, I'm pretty sure, wherever they got my data from, that company doesn't know about this. They don't know that well, someone yeah. is inside their system getting all the orders and trying to fish their customers. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and this is like a pretty common scenario. These yeah. are professional. These people are in it for the money. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, you know, they defaced websites and just, made it for like fun and oh yeah look i can hack into this site i remember in europe we had a lot of like uh, in turkey there were political issues and we had these turkish freedom fighters defacing a lot of websites and just saying how terrible the turkish government is but that thing doesn't really exist anymore if you find a vulnerability you are making money from it it's not like let's make some fun of this company so it's it's it should be taken seriously to be honest. Yep. Yeah, the fun days are over. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, people uh, realize uh, there is money in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's always the problem. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it was great talking to you again, Greg. Uh, let's uh, let's move into picks. Is there anything uh, you want to share with everybody today? Yeah, I I want to do the same pick I did last time, <laughs> but the reason for that is a thing which I saw on the internet. So there was this guy who posted on Twitter that shit, I lost access to all my online accounts. And how so? Someone hacked his uh, password manager, which is just not an issue, right? Because you have two-factor authentication. But his setup was, I'm using one password to store my passwords, and I use one password for my two-factor authentication as well. So once someone got access to his one password account, they got the key to the kingdom. So my pick is a YubiKey, which is a hardware device for two-factor authentication. It's separated from your password manager, which makes it a good second factor because it's not in the same basket. The only issue is it's not cheap, but it's very convenient and it's the best way to do 2FA in my opinion. I'm curious about the YubiKey. Like what happens if you lose YubiKey? <laughs> You stick, uh, uh, there is a recovery mechanism, I think, but you can't have a backup. So you either you would have two UB keys and they are like a mirror of each other. It's the, it's like, you know, it's just uses a mathematical model, uh, algorithm to generate the second factor. So you can probably just st- uh, store your seed somewhere. I think I have a seed somewhere stored. I don't know. <laughs> I should check my recovery process. But also I have uh, backup codes. So whenever I set up two, uh, if I set up a two-factor authentication somewhere, I store a list of backup codes. Yeah, I think I had a, uh, there was, it was those years ago, but there was a time where I had one specific account that I had recovery codes stored uh, and then the hard drive failed and I hadn't backed up that hard drive. <laughs> And then I lost that account, basically. <laughs> what I do with my backup codes, I print them. And they are printed, they are somewhere in a folder. That's a good idea. Because I don't care if someone breaks into the house, they find the backup codes. It doesn't make any sense on its own. You still need the password. Right. So yeah. the password yeah. is in the password manager, which is encrypted. So it's still, they can't do anything with the backup codes. Right. And then if I lose the hard drive or if the other good thing is if someone would get onto my system and somehow they manage to get my password, let's say with a keylogger, and they also find a file on my computer with my backup code, they have the access to that service. They have the password, they have the second factor. Yeah, that's a great idea. I, I might have to get a YubiKey or two. <laughs> I think you've convinced yeah, me. No, that's, it's very convenient. It's just a touch. It's plugged in. I just touch it and that's it. All right, great. Um, let's see. Uh, so I'm in the, I've been in large language model world for probably too long here. Uh, <laughs> and so my picks are very related to that. Uh, number one being Magma Chat. Uh, pretty awesome Rails uh, open source application uh, from Obi Fernandez, uh, who's from Hashrocket, if you're not familiar. Uh, really awesome framework. Uh, I've just been digging in and generating a bunch of uh, role-specific bots, and it's been a lot of fun uh, just running it locally. Uh, pretty incredible. 
Uh, so I recommend checking that out. And uh, to, to go with it, uh, he has a paid service called Olympia uh, that has very human-like uh, bots that you can, uh, you know, buy into that are, you know, legal specific or are very specific in very specific roles and act human or a more conversational. Uh, and it's pretty neat, uh, pretty wild what he's put together. So I recommend checking those out. They're a lot of fun. I will definitely do. I'm curious about if it's an open source trail step, I'm always curious to see if there are any vulnerabilities. <laughs> yeah, please do, because I'm, I'm definitely playing with it a lot more and uh, taking it a little seriously. So <laughs> I mean, you're, you're right. Maybe I should be doing a, a little pen testing of my own on it. <laughs> yeah, at least run Breakman on it just to see yeah. if it can find anything. All right. Well, until next time, folks. Uh, I'm Valentino Stoll. This has been an awesome time with Greg Molnar, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs>